slightly truncated intro there since this is not actually an episode of Casually Hardcore. This is the Ted Diaries, day one, with myself, Gnomewise, and Ted Headster. That would be my older brother, who is a shoutcast virgin. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are deflowering him even as we speak. IRC, I'm counting on you to shower him in praises and, and loves and, and other, well, abuse, basically, is what we're looking for there. Um... Is this akin to my days as a Rocky virgin at the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Up and back. We only want to have to clean one, one wall. wall. So, yeah, uh, we hope to do, well, I hope to do, I'm not sure if Ted Hedster understands my ambitions here. Um, want to do one of these uh, Ted Diaries each evening. And I understand that right now we are up against the freaking Super Bowl. So I'm understanding why listenership is a little low. And I am not hurt by this. At all. Not true believers. So anyway, IRC, um, are we actually broadcasting? Because there's no, well, people are watching the game. So, what the hell is Ted? And why did you bring me here? Ted Hedster, that's a question to you. Okay, so Ted is an abbreviation for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. It was a conference started uh, back, I think, around 1985 or 87. Um, I can't quite recall. I wasn't associated with it back then. But that was the focus, is um, a guy named Richard Wall Sermon brought the thousand most in creative or uh, successful people he could find together for a conference to have what some people called, you know, Saul's dinner party. <laughs> and... Um, that people got up and talked about the neat things they were doing. Um, the c- criteria for being invited to this conference was um, uh, it was invitation only. You had to pass a screening process, and uh, the host had to be able to point to any of the guests in the crowd and say, you, I want you to talk for 18 minutes. That's the standard talk, 18 minutes. And anybody and the audience would be able to get up and talk for 18 minutes about something genuinely interesting and unique. Whatever their passion was. Whatever their passion was. Neat concept. So um, one of the attendees in, oh, I want to say it was 2001, was a guy named Chris Anderson. And he thought this was something unique. So he approached um, uh the, the, the you know the creator Saul. of it Saul and he said I, I want to buy this from you you know I I, I want th- this is important your women I, I want to buy your women sell them to me so uh, so there was a transition of ownership to the Sapling Foundation and um, the uh, Chris Anderson uh, declared himself um, not the owner of it but kind of the curator so it's you know it's 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 the organization show and he's merely curating it and. Um, uh, he put the talks, some of the best talks on the web, and it kind of grew from there. The web seems to have seized hold of this particular thing. I, I had no concept until you said it just now that this was steeped in that much history. I thought this was a very, very recent thing because it only entered my consciousness very recently and seems like such an Internet phenomenon to me as a, as a newcomer. 
Yeah, that's under the kind of, um, the the vision of the new leadership, um, and so that's a change from the past. From the past, it was um, it, uh, it was a very limited audience that was invited. There was a very limited audience that knew about it. And now the world is getting exposed to this neat thing that we have been doing. Yeah. So, um, and so where on the web can they see all about it? I guess that would be dub 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 dot ted dot com. Wow. <laughs> Whoever would have thunk it. So, um, I mean, so the talks range not just technology, entertainment, and design, but they're they're more. Um, varied than that, but those those still are the themes you tend to see with the greatest frequency. Now, how did you fall into volunteering for this organization? Okay, so in the early days under the um, the original leadership of TED, uh, it was significantly staffed by volunteers. It was almost all volunteer, actually. Um, and under the new leadership, they decided... Um, that they wanted to do something different. So most of the volunteers, uh, uh, their roles were replaced with uh, full-time staff. But for some reason, they were uh, very satisfied with the IT support they had, and that specific group continued to be uh, volunteers. And uh, my coworker at the company I was working for at the time had been doing it for years already, and he invited me to come work at it. And... Um, he massively understated how interesting it was. He said, <laughs> "He said, yeah, it's it's about a thousand kind of smart people who get together, and uh, a couple of people do talks." You know, he, he said something you know as kind of watered down as that, and, and he sort of said that there are kind of some famous, interesting people. But the first time I was uh, there as a volunteer, I met the you know the founders of uh, Google and Dale Chihuly, who's this really famous glass blowing artist, and. And we've got Chihuly uh, billboards all over Phoenix yeah. these days. Uh, and Jill Solbule, who uh, did, she had, she's sort of a one-hit wonder, but you know she's had some albums. But one song she did was um, I Kissed a Girl. Uh-huh. Where she, uh, some has, notoriety there. Yeah, some notoriety. She, so it's a, it's a funny video that has Fabio as her romantic interest nice. in the video. It's, it, it's just funny. So, you know, she's a, she's a celebrity probably on the same uh, order of magnitude as, say, like an Alton Brown you know, I am a member of the cult of Alton. Yes. So, um, yeah. So my my colleague and friend over- understated it, and um, I eventually got invited back when they had a uh, a secondary site. Though, so the most the the conference was held in Monterey for many years, but they eventually outgrew it, so they moved it to Long Beach. Um, but before they moved it to Long Beach, they decided to create a small satellite site where they did a simulcast through satellite. Um, and thus the name. Thus, uh, well, not really. Well, it was just, um, what did they call it at first? It was called Ted Aspen the first year for basically the people who uh, did not successfully apply and get into the Monterey site that year. Mm-hmm. The year after that, they moved... Both uh, Monterey to Long Beach, and then Aspen was moved to Palm Springs. Okay, and it became Ted Palm Springs. This year, um, the secondary site is also at Palm Springs, but because the groups developed kind of a unique character of being kind of younger people and not as well established as uh, the larger Long Beach group, it's called Ted Active because these people tend to be. 
active up-and-comers in whatever it is they're doing. Makes sense. So it's now the Ted Active 2010 instead of Ted Palm Beach 2010. Yep. So it's become Ted Active. Now, last year, Ted took you in a very different direction. And you went where to work on a Ted conference? Oh, about six months ago, yeah. So Ted was an annual conference. But at some point, they started doing an international conference at about um, uh, opposite six-month cycle. So February, March was the regular TED conference in Monterey slash Long Beach and then Aspen, eventually um, Palm Springs. Six months later, um, every other year they'd have it in uh, Oxford, England. Um, But then the opposite years on those, they do it someplace internationally. So they did one in Tanzania and then back to Oxford. And then this year they decided... Well, we've got this really active um, member of the TED community who's been going there for years, who's been pressing for this. Let's finally do it. So we did it in India. So there, uh, the, the international one was TED India, and uh, I was invited with uh, one other colleague to do IT there uh, in India. Talk to us about working IT in India, because I smell a story here. They have different business practices and expectations in India come to find out. Could you elaborate? Well, I guess it's considered impolite to say no or to say you can't do something. Even if you can't do it. Yeah, I was getting to that. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we needed... uh, Internet service brought into the site, a totally brand new service... And um, they said, yes, 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 we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And as we got closer and closer to the date, we were realizing these, these guys aren't going to be able to do it. No way. It doesn't appear to be happening. So, um, so we had to bring some pressure to bear and uh, behave very anxiously. And uh, they finally got the idea. Um, we, this is actually kind of important. Yeah. And uh, they finally pulled it off, but um, there there was great uncertainty associated with it. Now, what's interesting in Indian culture that I didn't understand and I I started to learn is um, they've kind of got a head shake where they shake their head, not from like left shoulder to right shoulder, but there's like a wobble in between. Which means I'm not really going to do this? Well, no, that's just it. It's context sensitive. Uh, Just like a shrug in Western culture has... Uh, has, It could mean anything. It could could mean a variety of things. They would use this head shake for us, and we didn't know if it meant, yes, we can do it, or I think we can do it. or So they're using body language and business practices that... You know, we didn't understand, so we didn't know the level of commitment. Cultural differences seem to have risen up and bitten you in the ass a bit. Yeah. So uh, I had a colleague um, who's also here at this time, but uh, he was um, also at TED India, and he was able to get away to actually get to India several weeks earlier, fly back, and then actually go there for the actual TED conference. You know, he did all the business connections. If he hadn't have been there and started to create these business relationships in this culture that you know weren't really familiar with, uh, we would have been dead in the water. So, uh, to his credit, we pulled it off, but um, it was a very near thing. It sounds like it was a very bumpy road getting there. Um, and we were in a decent sized city. 
But even then, uh, you did drive to the next biggest city if you needed something like, say, um, an eight-port you know, Ethernet switch because, uh, well, they just didn't have it in the closest big city, so you had to go to the next biggest, bigger city. <sighs> Which is no small undertaking when you're in India. Yeah. Um, I... I had almost heart attacks, uh, kind of just observing the protocol. They use uh, their, the automobile horns and the, let's see now, kind of the uh, mini bike horns and motorcycle horns. They use them like we use turn signals. Uh-huh. It's considered, I'm coming. Yeah, it's considered polite, actually. You know, like you're going too slow. I'm going to go around you. Um, I need you to go faster. Um, I, I really saw cars, with, cars being pulled with oxen by people really doing their day-to-day work because you know this they is not part of your normal life yeah they could because they uh you know they could they couldn't afford uh, a mechanized uh vehicle so oh. they use oxen the ox it is um so it was very um enlightening to learn that um yeah stuff like that still exists in the world today. chunks of the world still that is their world india is a very interesting place of many contrasts there's some really intelligent, well-educated people there that are very successful, um, but they're surrounded by a large middle class and probably an even larger lower class that are just, they're, they're eking out in existence. They're surviving, but their ability to thrive is uh, questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a huge, day-to-day thing. Yeah, it's a huge growing culture. For example, one thing we learned there is that um, cell phones are growing faster in India than anywhere else, including China. Cell phones are growing at a rate of, they're adding 15 million, that's M like Matthew, 15 million cell phones per month in India. Holy crap. Which is just uh, outrageous. They kind of skipped over the whole copper infrastructure, didn't they? Went straight to wireless, didn't they? That's the way to go. Why why bother? Why bother? Copper is so 1950s. Terrestrial is just um, so expensive. Now, have you... Looked at, we've got the TED Active schedule here. Anything jumped out at you? I mean, I've, I've noticed that uh, the um, the TED Prize appears to be dwelling here at Active, according to the schedule. Anyway, and I don't think that's so. Actually, I think the, the, the so the TED Prize is an idea where um, we take the talents of the community and try to make uh, somebody's wish come true. Now. The, the, the screening process to choose somebody um, for a TED gift is pretty rigorous, and it's got to be somebody that's achieved some substantial stuff, and they want to achieve even more substantial stuff. So they give them $100,000 cash, but then they also ask the community, you know, the community of, uh, of people who are accomplished people to say, we want you to support this. Um, and they throw their collective weight behind it. Well, I was interested to see that this was... This, uh year's honoree is Jamie Oliver. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, they've done it at some years. They've given it to three people. I think they've announced this year they're giving it to one person, Jamie Oliver. I, I, I'm not fully sure of that, but I think that's so. Now, us Americans are probably would be familiar with Jamie Oliver from the Food Network. Uh, his original claim to fame was a series of British television programs about the naked, cooking. The Naked, the naked chef. chef was his when he was a younger man, and then he'd, he's done Jamie's Kitchen. But it's also done... Lots of community activism. He has a uh, restaurant called 15, where he will bring in 15 uh, underprivileged uh, late teenagers and teach them the craft of being a chef and give them a chance to break into the industry they might not otherwise have. 
and it's a rotating shift of 15 chefs. And it's a rigorous train. They even did some television shows showing just how much he beats the snot out of these kids. Yeah, they're actually cooks. Uh, the, he is the oh, chef. He is the chef, and, and they are the cooks. cooks. They're training to be a chef, they hope. Yes. Um, and they actually have, they have him listed on the Palm Strings schedule, so we may actually see him here. Well, I didn't know that. So, uh, I'm, I, mean, I, clicked, that I clicked on the link that said, plan your TED Palm Springs, and Wednesday, February 10th, session three, action, the TED 2010 prize, Jamie Oliver, chef, comma, activist. Well, uh, that would be very cool to kind of rub shoulders with Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver. Yeah. So um, what I think I understand about why he got the TED Prize is he's trying to improve the quality. The uh, quality, the of, quality food. of food in schools. Yes. For, you know, like high school, American-style high schools, you know, the British equivalent of that. Um, and quite honestly, with all the experiences many of us probably had in high school. It could do with some improvement. That seems like a noble endeavor. But it's not so much that he's trying to make the food tastier. I think he's really trying to get people to eat food that's both healthful and tasty, tasty. not just tasty. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're so addicted to processed foods in, in these cultures. Is it's there, There's a growing drive, it seems, to try and get back to, hey, how about eating something recognizable from nature? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, The high school that uh, uh, Gnome Wise and myself attended, I really look forward to Wednesdays when we order... Hacienda! We ordered out to the local pizzeria and pizza, had pizza. But, you know, it was a treat. And the other days, you know, we really should have been getting uh, food that was quality and tasty. And uh, it was a mixed bag. You know, sometimes they did it and sometimes not. So, obviously, Jamie Oliver is trying to bring some consistency to this. Yeah, and it sounds like a very very good plan. And they wish to honor him for that and encourage him along those lines. Right. So, they'll give him a $100,000 award. They'll give him recognition and some press. But they're really asking the community. They say, okay, with your talents out there. Help him. Yeah, what can you do to help him? So, for example... um, People from either Sun Microsystems or Microsoft or Google or Apple who are in the audience would say, hey, you know, I've got expertise with uh, putting computer servers on the Internet and putting up websites and putting back-end databases, you know, serve those websites. So we're going to make this available, you know, uh, uh, for free. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just write it off on, on our own, uh, on our own uh, expenses and make it available to them. Just tell us what you need us to do. So those kind of in-kind donations are the sort of things that makes the TED Prize possible. And it's a mixed bag. Some, some people have had TED Prizes that were granted to them and the community really rose to the occasion. And other times, a little less so. But um, if you don't ask, you'll never receive. So right. it, it seems like a very worthwhile exercise. Now, from the IRC, Bioman Alchemist observes, Yeah, all of our stuff was deep fried in high school. And then a tiny salad bar fail. I took my own lunch and my cholesterol level tanked ever since. Has thanked him ever since, he says. Um, Also, uh, since we are traveling and don't need to drive anywhere and we're far, far away from home, the drinking light is... Adam, the police officer said you need to drink more. I would ask uh, Ted Hester to pour me a little more innocuous clear liquid. I can help you. Thank you very much. You're a gentleman and a school bus. In fact... I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. So now Ted Hester is being introduced to the concept of drop-ins. Now I feel like I've been adulterated. No, 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 no. I reject your reality and substitute my own. I need to take a shower. <laughs> I need to towel off my extremities. I need to ubu when I zoko. After I zoko, I like to ufu. 
Anyone who gets that reference gets a wins one internet. Um, yeah, this is a, a long-standing tradition from in the shoutcasters that I learned the trade from of uh, the drop-in, which are little snippets of usually pop culture references or uh, sometimes yourself. This is my own voice. Um, are you smoking crack? Now you'll recognize that quote from our older brother. That was me quoting our eldest brother. Do you recognize that? Here, let me give it to you. Are again. you smoking crack? I thought that was Louis Anderson. No, oh, that was no. me. That was no, no, no. The quote. No, he may, he may very well have been. I heard it from our brother. No, no. Louis Anderson said, "Are you on drugs? No, are you on dope? Well, then give me well, some. Give me some." <laughs> but I digress. Okay, that's enough of the drop-in bombs. Um, so yes, you can go to TED.com and see what uh, Ted Headster and I are in for. We're on the Palm Springs branch. We're very interested in perhaps uh, guidance from what you all are interested in hearing about. So if you can send a uh, an email into the show at alphageekradio.com, that's the show, the show at alphageekradio.com. I'll try to check that before the actual conference begins proper, I believe, on Wednesday. And perhaps uh, go and see the things that you are interested in hearing about. You can hear about it from us first. However, later on, you can very likely see them on the Internet. And that is a wonderful thing. If you go to TED.com, you will see an absolute plethora. And, yes, I am using the word plethora properly and in a sentence here, El Guapo. And an absolute plethora of these TED Talks recorded and released free to the world. There's an awful lot of them. In them are quite a few of what we were describing to a young lady behind the bar today as it was Yvette, right? Um, the wow talks, where you just kind of you walk away from the talk and you go, wow, that was deep or fun or impressive. Um, is there a particular one that you would say you'd want people to go look for first on TED.com to get them hooked? First one's always free. You want a piece of gum? Yeah, so my favorite one that I show people right away is one by Sir Ken Robbins. He's an Englishman who's also uh, now living in the United States and both in England and the U.S. Um, he advises uh, academia, so either you know u- university, college, high school, and you know younger about what are some of the things that the aims of education ought to be. And he, he puts forth some really good arguments that um, the process we have right now is not working. Um, and, but he gives a few counterexamples where uh, people have succeeded in that environment, kind of as kind of special cases that um, they sort of succeeded in spite of the system and gone on to great success. And uh, he just makes a really excellent storyteller about what are the sorts of things that education ought to be doing uh, what is it capable of, and what are the things we need to change? Um, and he has kind of a self-deprecating humor, um, but uh, he, ma- he makes his point really well that uh, we could be doing some things differently in education that would probably um, make a more uh, happy and productive society if we allowed people to kind of follow their passions and find their own element in the world. I believe that uh, a lot of his writings became... Uh, material that the school where I teach UAT, uh, UAT.edu, plug, 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 and where uh, Iolite works um, as Dean of Academic Affairs, plug, plug, plug. Hi, baby. I hope you're listening. I love you. You're pretty. And 
I remember her reading his materials and them taking it to heart and incorporating it into their teaching model. Um, the people in the IRC are asking about the schedule here, so let me go through it rather quickly because we're coming up against the break here in about five minutes. So looking at Ted Palm Springs, which the website still calls Ted Palm Springs, even though it has long since been renamed Ted Active, <coughs> webmaster, <coughs> cough. Uh, let's see, starting Wednesday, February 10th, we have session one, referred to as Mind Shift. Ooh, isn't that a line from the Time Warp? No, Time Yes, slip. it is. Uh, we have Daniel Kahneman, behavioral economics founder, Esther DeFlo, developmental development economics, Michael Shermer, simply... Michael Shermer's talk was great. Well, he's doing one again this year, and he's merely listed as skeptic. Yeah, he he's the uh, I think he's the chairman of Skeptic Magazine. He's done a talk previously that was hysterical but brilliant at the same time. I see someone who mentions in here Hans Rosling, who does um, animated statistics. I got to have lunch with that guy in India. He's just like that at lunch, just just, <laughs> just like as he's passionate about teaching and understanding and and that you know statistics aren't just numbers you know they actually represent you know the, um the, you know a real life uh in, in a country and should be related that way through so yeah yeah he, think, he thinks that he thinks the tools we have for representing statistics are insufficient, are insufficient dry boring and and he's come up with a mechanism to make them fun and he incorporates into it and i'm not joking here he gave a great statistics uh, talk, and in the end, he demonstrated sword swallowing. And, I mean, he's just that kind of guy. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. What just, have you gotten me into? He's a piece of work, and I got to have lunch with him, and it was wondrous. So to give you an idea of the kind of breadth of topic this place covers, next on the list is Jake Shimaburko, who is an ukulele virtuoso. So we have Skeptic and Ukulele next to each other on the schedule. I just like saying ukulele, by the way. Ukulele. <laughs> we need J- James Earl Jones to come on the station and say ukulele. I thought his favorite word to say was Oprah. <laughs> it is. No, that was the top ten words that sound the best when said by James Earl Jones. Oprah. As stated by David, David Letterman. Letterman. Of course. Moving on. Session two, titled Discovery. William Lee, cancer researcher, Cheryl Hayashi, spider silk scientist, Dan Barber, chef. These people don't own a map, do they, because they're all over it. These people are, like, next to each other in their presentations. Cancer researcher, spider silk scientist, and chef. Is there a through line there? I submit that there probably is not, but I've been wrong before. There actually are overriding themes for each session, Um, but... um just like spider thread, it might be the merest thread ah, that connects them, as Gandalf would say. See what he did there. Session three, action. And then also the 2010 TED Prize, Jamie Oliver, chef and activist. The TED Prize heroes, provocateurs, storytellers, and pioneers. Cheryl Crow, singer, songwriter, and activist. And then the welcome party by the main pool. I'm liking this schedule. Say something witty. You think you're going to be able to go to the welcome party by the pool? Highly unlikely. We get to, like, fix everything that's broken, and I guarantee something will be broken by then. Welcome to volunteer work, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the amount of this we get to actually see depends heavily on how well we do our jobs and how well things that are completely beyond our control perform. 
So I'll bring what reports I can back to you out there in the IRC and podcast and shoutcast land. No promises. But the good news is most of this stuff should be available on TED.com at some point or another in the future. So that actually brings us up against the break rather nicely in a timely manner. So we're going to uh, pause for a little music and innocuous clear liquid. We'll be back after a little music from Exorb. This one's Hatchback Harmony 2.0. And we'll be back for another half hour of Ted Diaries Day 1. We need a subtitle for this. Sleep deprivation? The death march begins. God did not want us to come here? Yeah, when we come back, we'll tell you all about the interesting things that happened on our way to Ted. We'll be back right after this. girl who likes CCGs, and Doc Ted told me to listen to VTWProductions.com. Isn't it great?
And the Ted Archive, no, Ted Diaries, day one, continues live on Versus the World Radio with myself, Gnome Wise. And Ted Sir, Ted has Sir. See, now you're learning what the slightly delayed your own voice in your own ears sounds like, and which is why I turn it off, so please stand by. Feels so funky. So yeah, this is why I do the one one ear out of the out of the cans thing because I don't know the the my own voice, my own ears freaks me out. My brain just doesn't deal with it. Apparently, neither does yours. So we're back to normal now. She's gonna take a little nap now. Yeah, you said that uh, just like uh, those of us who are old enough to know what the uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie show. Uh, good day. And, uh, good day. And do you have your cans on and your toque? <laughs> I'm not touching that. That's a, I'm not that old. Really, I'm not. Yeah, you saw the movie Strange Brew. I know you did. Did you just get warm in here? I didn't notice. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, this is going to be a story in two movements um, of how we got to TED, active 2010. I'll let you begin the first movement there, Ted Hedster, because yours is longer than mine. Mine, mine starts partway into yours, so I'll jump in at the appropriate time. Okay, so when you say how we got to TED, you're talking about the geographical traveling, how we got to TED. This is indeed what we find. Okay, so um, I had um, some uh, plane tickets for flying out of Baltimore, BWI Airport, to Denver, and then continuing on to Denver, uh, to Palm Springs. And then God decided to have a snowstorm. And uh, my flight was supposed to be out Saturday, and on Friday at like you know two o'clock in the afternoon, they were saying, "Yeah, your flight's canceled." Yeah, we we know what's coming. We know there's no chance you're going to be able to fly out of here. So I contacted my travel agent and said, um, "What are our alternatives?" And they said, "Well, can you get to New York?" <laughs> uh, maybe. So uh, I have taken the train up to New York in the past, uh, and I figured I could get to LaGuardia. And so uh, my travel agent rebooked me um, for, let's see, Saturday morning uh, out of LaGuardia. So I figured I'd drive to the train station, catch the train, and go to LaGuardia. You fool. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. Ha, 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 ha. God well, leans over to the smite button. So what was I thinking? So um, they were predicting accurately that it was going to be the worst snowstorm for the D.C. Baltimore area in 90. That's nine, nine zero, zero years. And they were right. So I have a very low-profile vehicle. I've got you know a Honda Accord. It's about, you know, the front bumper is probably 18, 20 inches off the ground. Lovely. So I got up real early in the morning. I got up at, you know, like 5.30, got out at 6 o'clock, and successfully shoveled my car out of the driveway. And I thought once I got into um, kind of the uh, the troughs that other vehicles, vehicles had, had, left had left behind on my uh, side road, um, I'd be okay. And I did that in probably enough time at that point to get to the train station. What I didn't count on was the fact that the snow was at about 24 inches deep <laughs> and that my car was functioning like a snowplow, but my car is not designed to be a snowplow. It more sort of isn't. Yeah, so I, I dig it out and go a few feet and dig it out and go a few feet. And after two hours, I'd gone about two to 300 feet. And is it this, working? Yes, it, this wasn't happening. So I wasn't able to make my train. 
Matter of fact, all I did was um, I, I live at, uh, at the top of the hill where the, the kind of the main house driveway is, but there's a secondary driveway a little bit down the hill, which is as far as I got, and I just pulled my car into the second driveway. We're leaving uh, here. You know, so I, you know, I was... I was reasonable. I backed it in so that um, when I eventually will be able to dig it out, I'll be able to drive forward instead of backwards. But I made sure it was far enough into the driveway so that when the snowplows finally get there, you know, they didn't hit my car. Um, so that was two hours of digging and about two to three hundred feet, and I realized this ain't happening. This is bad. So right around this time, uh, I see a tweet from Ted Hedger come through saying. Yeah, I just shoveled for two hours and moved my car 200 feet. I'm going to miss my flight. Meanwhile, I'm chortling all the way to the airport in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, where there's never snow. Thinking, well, I guess uh, Ted Hester will just drag his ass in there whenever he does, and I'll just be flying in now. And innocently, I board the plane and begin my flight towards Palm Springs from Phoenix, which is... Not a long flight. It is about an hour in the air, if that. And while this was happening, York Adventure continued along what lines? Okay, so um, I noticed it was a lot easier to walk in the snow than to drive in the snow. So uh, I went back in the house, uh, changed a little of my sopping wet clothes into something a little bit drier, a little more snow resistant. And I threw my... Well, see, I see my book bag over one shoulder and my luggage over the other shoulder. And I just walked out um, into the snow because you can move faster when you're walking in the snow. And I knew the distance from my house because I'm a runner was uh, one mile to the main road. And it's probably about a half a mile to the nearest gas station was this uh, gas station chain called Wawa. If you're familiar, Wah-wah! If you're familiar with the East Coast chain. Are you, is it still actively snowing at this point? Yeah, it's uh, it's not a blizzard, but it is actively snowing. So um, you could genuinely call it a snowstorm. Although, it, I mean, it wasn't uh, you know, uh, hellacious, but uh, it, it wasn't nice. So, so I walked a mile and a half in the falling snow, some wind, um, to the Wawa. Now, before I ever took off, I called uh, the the cab company that serves the region. I said. Are you running cabs now? Because I figured I'd get to them. I'd get to the gas station, which is on a major street, and um, uh, and get a cab from there. And they said, "Yeah, we're running cabs." So I walked the mile and a half uh, to the, to the Wawa gas station, and I call them to get my cab dispatched there. And this time they tell me we're not running any cabs. Thank you. You've been helpful. You've got to be kidding me. So around about this time, I have boarded my plane. I have stashed my bag in the... Uh, actually, no, I couldn't stash my bag in the overhead compartment. This is a Canadair regional jet. This is what... No, no, it was not a turboprop. It was actually a jet. So it did have two... Was, alleged, it, was it two seats and two seats or one seat and two seats? Two and two, so not too bad. And but it did have the two alleged jet engines on the tail. And but more importantly, the captain boards... And kind of looks sheepishly back at the uh, people gathered in the plane and says, So I hear they didn't say anything uh, at the ticket counter about the fact that we're under a weather advisory for Palm Springs. And the two flights ahead of us didn't make it in. So any of you who want to get off the plane now, you can. But just understand that we're getting up in the air under a weather advisory. 
Dun, dun, dun. Can anybody get up? No. We all just kind of stared and said, what the hell are we going to do, man? Yes. Yes. You roll the dice, you takes your chances. You takes your chances, you roll. Yeah. So, around about this time, you were being told, oh, no, we're not running cabs. What, what were you thinking, oh, white man? Yeah. So, I'm at the Wawa. At least I'm indoors and they have heating. There are few. Uh, nobody's out on the road. There are very few cars out on the road, but they're they're coming by to get gasoline. So I get this wild idea. Uh-huh. So I start asking people as they come in to pay for their gasoline. Hey, uh, any chance you're going north? You know, there might be a way for you to make an easy twenty bucks if you're interested. And nobody was really interested for the first three or four people, but. Uh, I bumped into two older guys, probably in their fifties or so, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, you, have to, you don't have to, you. you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay us. You know, we'll just take you as far as we can go." So they they took me probably about five six miles north to the next major road, to the next gas station, to the next gas station. Yeah, and uh, so they kept on going north, but I needed to go west at that point, so I hung out there. Had to wait a little longer, but one guy comes in and he's. Um, uh, uh, he basically said, oh, yeah. We, are, we already got a guy in our car. I already got a guy in my car that I'm driving from Washington, D.C. to his house. And uh, once I'm done, I'm driving back into D.C., and that's in the direction you need to go. You need to go west uh, towards the, the new Carrollton train station. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm like, yeah, right on. You know, and, you know, it's like, you know, which, you know I, can I give you 20 bucks for it? And he looks at me and says, 40 bucks. <laughs> The price has been set by your predecessor. So, what am I going to do? I'm like, okay, he'll get me there. It's worth forty bucks. Forty bucks. You're going to expense that to ten, yeah. right? <laughs> Funny, he didn't give me a receipt, so I'm, I'm not <laughs> oh, sure what I'm going to do. Damn this thing! Yeah. So, uh, Boss Wally from the IRC says the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Snowstorm. So, uh, so we uh, we got underway. We dropped the first guy off at his place, and then got an on ramp, and there was a. Um, the local grocery store in the region is called Giant. There was a giant kind of home delivery truck blocking about a half of the lane dug into the snow, and then and the other half was an 18-wheeler stuck in the snow. Oh, joy. So we uh, dug ourselves out of there and put the vehicle in reverse and backed out of the on-ramp <laughs> onto... It's now an off-ramp. Yeah. Yeah, so we backed off as far as we could, and then we turned the vehicle around, and we're going the wrong way on an on-ramp, but there were no vehicles on the road, pretty much, so we were okay, but... Because no one else is that stupid! Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of a judgmental way to put it, but... Um, I'm feeling very judgmental, because yeah. you're my sibling. Yeah, so uh, so we went uh, north, hung a Yui, and caught the opposite on-ramp, um, and uh, got got to the uh, train, station? To train station. And the uh, trains were actually running, were they? The, the funny part was trains were actually running. Um, nice. There was one in 30 minutes after I got there, and I jumped on it. And uh, well, it was much, it went much more slowly than normally, but it went. Yeah, it's all that matters. Yeah. So right about this time, my plane has actually reached Palm Springs. I can see the airport out the window. We're approaching the airport. I hear the landing gear go down. I hear the tone of the engines change, and I see the flaps going down on the wings, saying, Ah, we're on approach. All is well. Wait, why is the pilot accelerating? Why is the landing gear coming up? Why are the flaps retracting? This is not right. Something is very, very wrong. No! I can see the airport. It's right there. What is wrong with you people? Yeah, that was past 
one at the airport. There was a little weather uh, parked uh, more or less permanently right over Palm Springs, just kind of camping out. And I was in my little rubber band driven, uh, I think uh, the way Ron White puts it is like a pack of gum with wings, traveling at half the speed of smell. A goose came up behind us, and the pilot leaned out and said, Go around! <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I was feeling about this equipment. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a 60-minute flight. Can't make it on this equipment. We circle around, and we try again. And it is all for naught. And they tell us, no, we have to redirect to Yuma. Now, I'm thinking, well, Yuma's a good chunk of the way between Phoenix and Palm Springs. I think I'll just hop out and... Rent a, rent a one-way car and drive it. And I'll just fly back on the other half of my ticket, hopefully after the weather clears, after the con. As we're approaching Yuma, they say, we've been redirected back to Phoenix. To which I say, damn you all! So three and a half hours after I begin my one-hour flight to Palm Springs, during which time, ladies and gentlemen, I likely could have driven to Palm Springs from Phoenix... I'm back on the tarmac in Phoenix. In, as we say, the Phoenix. Phoenix. Yes. What were you doing around this time, Ted Headster? Well, I was furiously texting the few people I actually know in New York City. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please be home. Please be home. Please be home. Um, I had a second time gotten my, um, my flight out of LaGuardia rebooked, this time for the next day, bright and early at uh, 8 a.m. in the morning. So, while I didn't need a lot of sleep, I figured I should get some sleep, but I needed a place to be. Um, so, I sent a message to a, a co-worker there, and he said he couldn't put me up because somebody was sleeping on his couch for the Super Bowl party he was hosting the next day. So, he checked in with uh, some of the other uh, co-workers, and one guy was up. He's like, yeah, you know, come stay with me, my girlfriend. You can sleep on our couch. We've got to pull out a uh, bed on the couch. But we also have... A puppy. A puppy. Um, it's uh, friendly. It, it's not uh, what. It looks like a bichon frise, but it's not. It's uh, a bichon frizz. No, no, no. It's a uh, it's a purebred, but I forget uh, what it is. As Gwenora would say, a bichon frizz. Yeah. So it's not a bichon frise. It's another purebred that looks very similar, but um, it's only a little rat dog. It's it's only ten months old, and oh, she was adorable. Puppy. But before I got there, um, oh, there's more. He met me at uh, Penn Station, and uh, thought it would be a grand idea to when you need uh, as much of a full night's sleep as you can possibly get. His great idea is to go to a restaurant with his girlfriend. Of course, because God hates you. Because okay, so he understands my flights at eight in the morning. Um, and I does got, he really understand? Does he compute? He's, he's heard the words, he but does he understand the, words, the implications? But I don't think he understands. Do you the understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> so he proceeds to take me out to a bar and dinner, and we had a very nice time. But he knew I'd be getting up at five o'clock. We we had discussed this. I got to get up at five o'clock to shower and catch a cab and get to LaGuardia and get through security. So he proceeds to keep me up till 1 in the freaking morning. Because this is a grand idea. So uh, he keeps me up till 1, and we had a nice time, but, so I go to bed. Please, God, I must sleep. And, you know, he gets to sleep in as long as he wants, and I got up at 5. And uh, I did say that I, 
you know, and this is my fault. <laughs> I did, I did <laughs> say it, that. Own it. The puppy can sleep with me because oh, I love dogs. Yeah. And she was really cute and adorable, and she's very snuggly, you know, very for much a 10-month-old puppy. puppy. But I was warned, and I didn't heed the warnings from uh, the puppy's mom, that she she bites and she chews. And she was fine when I was playing with her, but when I decided I wanted to go to sleep, she decided this was not okay. So she started biting my ear. And she started um, um, biting um, 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 any um, um, piece of skin that was exposed <laughs> from the covers. And then apparently she knows how to get under oh, the covers. Clever as much, puppy. As much as I tried to you know, kind of pull them down and kind of tuck them down, she dug underneath them and found my hands and started chewing on them. And I realized that I, I was really dumb. <laughs> oh, dog fail. Yeah, um, but I love dogs. So Usually. I get mad at her. Yeah, just, but you're still sleep deprived yeah. at this point. Yes, your very first shout casting experience is sleep deprived. Yeah. I, and I did this more or less on purpose. Because yes, the, the addiction takes seat more readily when your defenses yes, are down. I hope uh, I, I hope Ted Hedser's significant other is listening right now because she understands that you know I've been sort of uh, tricked or pressured into this. And uh, no, you were not. You agreed to this before yes. you were sleep deprived, mind you. Yes, yes. But uh, Gnome Wise uh, had had an agenda, and uh, he tricked me into this. Moi? Toi? Non. Si. So, around about this time, back in Phoenix, Gnomewise gets on the phone to Iolite. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Hi, babe. I love you. You're pretty. Oh, you're there? It depends on you what you mean by there. I'm back at Sky Harbor International Airport. Cause, and then she gets the story at that point. Could you come get me? Because when I landed, I love you. They, you're pretty. I love you. You're pretty. Please, God, come get me. Because upon departing the plane, uh, this was around about four p.m. at this point. So it was a one o'clock flight. It was about four fifteen when I got to their desk. They said, "Yeah, we'll put you on an eight fifty-five flight tonight, and hopefully the weather will have cleared." Hopefully. At this point, the phrase, F it, I'm driving, passed through my brain. And I called Iolite and said, I'm going to go get them to pull my bag off the plane, and I'll meet you at the north curb. And, of course, it took them forever and a day to yank my bag out and deliver it to carousel number three at Sky Harbor International Airport, Terminal 4. And Iolite orbited the terminal about five, six times with Nemesis in the background, Wondering why Daddy was home early when we'd been preparing him all this time for Daddy's going away for seven days, and why is Daddy back? And he didn't quite grasp the concept of... And basically the whole time I was back to pick up my car and go, he was, bye-bye, Daddy, bye-bye, Daddy, bye-bye, Daddy, because you're not supposed to be here, so you need to run along now, because this is me and Mom time, and you're intruding. So I came home, got my car, and drove the hell to... Palm Springs. And if you think that's the end of the story, oh, how wrong you are. But back to you, Ted Hedster. Um, you had picked a, picked a cab to the airport at this point, I think? Yeah, I did. I actually had a very interesting guy who was a Pakistani guy who was a, uh, a, a chef, a personal chef and former restaurant chef. 
And he went on um, at length telling me about his life story. Because, you know, if you want to have a long conversation, just ask people to talk about themselves, and they will gladly oblige. Um, I do an internet radio show. I think I'm an acute case. Yeah, you can see a counselor about that. Moving on. They have drugs for that. Talk amongst yourself. Um, so I got to LaGuardia, and I got through uh, security right quick, and uh, got on my plane, and my first lake was LaGuardia to Denver, you know, relatively straightforward, and uh, my second leg was uh, Denver to Palm Springs, and uh, I'm looking at my ticket, and I'm, okay, I'm in like, row like 23 D, and um, as I'm approaching, you know, where I'm sitting, I'm sort of pointing to my seat for the person in the window seat. Now, I've got an aisle seat, and he's like, yeah, 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 come here, come here, and as I sit down, he goes, are you going to the TED conference? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you Matt? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm Scott, you know, and, you know, I left your voicemail. I was like, oh, crap, that's the voicemail I didn't respond to. <laughs> Whoopsie. So he's giving a presentation. I'm supposed to help him with his, um, you know, kind of PowerPoint sort of stuff, and I just hadn't gotten back to him yet. And God said, you must talk to him. Yeah, and, and yet more embarrassing, um, I met him at the, uh, Ted Aspen two years ago, and he was also at Ted uh, Palm Springs a year ago, but I, I didn't interact with him, but I did at Tom. Ted Palms, uh, Ted Aspen. He was actually the first Ted attendee I met there, and I kind of, I spaced it initially, so the embarrassment was palpable at I that point. I should have known who you were. Yeah, yeah, no, but you know, I eventually I was like, I know this face, but I can't remember the context. So we spent the rest of the flight talking about, um, you know, uh, what what the kind of spirit of Ted is. So his roles, he um, he's in he works at SeaWorld, and he's trying to use SeaWorld as a mechanism for teaching the community about, you know, what what humans' interactions with sea life, you know, how it affects humans and how it affects, you know, animals that, uh, uh, what's the word he used, charismatic superfauna or something like that. Ooh, that's a lot of syllables. Yeah, syllables, yeah. Um, With the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables. Syllables, yeah. But he... um, we had a great conversation about well, you know, how do you uh, how do you inspire your people, uh, the, the employees at SeaWorld, to you know, get the message you're trying to get out, and how can the principles of TED, you know, apply to that, and um, how do you reward people for the behaviors you want? We lo- we looked with at, fish. Yeah. So we actually looked at an 18 minute TED talk by Dan Pink about how organizations are using this uh, old kind of uh, industrial age model about rewarding people. But we found out that, you know, rewarding people with, like, bonuses and stuff like that, unless it's for very specific cases of very clear examples, if you do this and get that, you receive this. You receive this. I press the button, I get the pellet. I press the button, I get the pellet. Right. You know, as soon as it gets a little more ambiguous than that, we find out that traditional rewards, you know, with things like bonuses, actually uh, get the behaviors we don't want. So uh, Dan Pink's got a great talk where he says, you know, if you get a, a bonus for doing these sorts of things, and it's anything but this extremely narrow thing like manufacturing more than X widgets per hour, as soon as it starts to have kind of a creative quality, it actually uh, hurts the process to give people rewards for that. 
So, um, you know. Watch it on TED.com, kids. Yeah, Dan Pink. Great, Dan great Pink, talk. TED.com. He says, you know, that we've got 40 years of social science that basically proves that in business, the model we're using to reward people actually makes things worse. So we had a great talk about that, and I said, well, how does this, we watched the TED How does it apply to SeaWorld? Yeah. How does, you know, how does this apply to SeaWorld is, does SeaWorld have a setup where they're rewarding people for kind of traditional industrial age kind of things, but they're really being faced with, say, 21st century... Information age. Information age things where things are more ambiguous. And if that's the case, well, we know that traditional rewards with things like bonuses and promotions actually give you behaviors that you don't want. It makes it either slows things down or gives you the wrong answers. So, um, so it was all things Ted, and uh, all things we, Ted. We had a great uh, flight back, and uh, I'll be. And like, you actually made it to Palm Springs. Actually made it to Palm Springs. Uh, we bid farewell at the baggage check where uh, Gnome Wise picked me up, and he, um, my, my colleague, uh, was picking up his luggage and rented a car. But uh, you know, we, we agreed to each other that we would continue the conversation next time we saw each other. You know, in a day or two. You shall uh, have to Ted. introduce me. Yeah. Oh, and I think you really enjoy this this guy. So, I hop in the family truckster, also known as the mobile broadcast rig, for those of you who have listened to the Road to BlizzCon 2008 and 2009, and tooling through all this weather that had been preventing my arrival in Palm by, Springs. By air. By air. It's not all that pleasant on the ground either. So, I drive cautiously and it takes quite a while to get here and i've got glados going who is as you well know if you've listened to the road to blizzcon uh live from my car shoutcasts and yes i'm not kidding i'll show you the rig and get within 2.6 miles of the hotel and the roads are closed because the wash is flooded now i never knew that glados my GPS navigation system would give up. But I found that threshold on this trip. Apparently, if you ignore her enough and drive around in freaking circles enough times, she just says, screw you, white man, and stops giving you directions because you obviously don't want to go where you thought you wanted to go. And I actually wound up having to pull over and reprogram the damn address into GLaDOS to say, no, I'm really trying to get there. It's just that all the roads are washed out. So, yeah, there was an extra hour and 45 minutes of orbiting around sections of Palm Beach after arriving in Palm Beach. For about three miles. Palm Springs, rather, to cover 2.6 miles of linear distance. As the crow flies. As the crow flies. But the crows were smart, and they were all in their nests. Only the stupid humans were out in that freaking weather. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm not. I'm not well. So, yeah, I wound up limping in here around 12.30 in the freaking a.m. and getting checked into my very fine room. I must compliment the uh, Riviera Palm Springs for having uh, very fashionable and, and comfortable rooms. Fashionable in what year? 1953, I think, or 59, because they have the they have a, a 50s theme here, late 50s theme here. And kind of a well. Marilyn Monroe picture. Yes, done in, in very fashionable um, kind of the padded wallboard, uh, you know. You know, you have like a headboard for a uh, for a bed. This is a wallboard. It goes up about four feet, and yeah, Gnome Wise got it right when he said "bow, tick a bow, bow." Oh hell yeah! 
Yeah, they have a, a cafe here called Circa 59, and it is aptly named. They uh, served me a very fine breakfast with much bacon. <gasps> bacon! Yes, I did say bacon. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, finally struggled in here, got the most of a night's sleep, and then... With an alarm clock that's exactly Shut up. 12 hours out of sync. Who, whoever the previous occupant of this room was fails... Epic l- fail. Epic fail at life. That's a phrase I've taught my older brother, epic fail. And had the uh, correct time on the old clock radio, but 12 hours out of sync. So I set my alarm for 6 a.m. Not a damn thing happened, but when we came back from dinner here, it was going off because, hey, 6 p.m. had happened, and you wanted to wake up at 6 p.m. I'm noticing something about the IRC, though, with this heavily buffered upstream, they're a good two minutes behind us, because they're talking about GLaDOS at this point, and that was a while ago. So we're not exactly getting real-time feedback from the IRC, but we appreciate all your participation and the fact that you're actually listening to us on Super Bowl Sunday, though I think the game has ended, has it not? Did somebody win? Thank you you for your support. Thank you for your support. And thank you again for your support. So you have been listening to The Ted Diaries, Day One, uh, subtitle, God Hates Conferences. And we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Ted Diaries, Day Two, and we will develop the subtitle of that one during the day based on what happens. Yeah, we'll probably start with uh, some of the um, uh, mild mishaps of uh, the, the, the day today we didn't get to. And we'll get more tomorrow, I can guarantee it. Oh, wait a minute, you haven't been at a TED conference yet long enough no, to know but I've that been, these are going to happen. No, but I've been alive. Okay, you understand the concept of Murphy's Law, do you not? That which can go wrong shall go wrong, correct? Murphy was an optimist. Yes, Thompson's corollary to Murphy's Law is that Murphy was an optimist. And never, never forget that the phrase, may you live in interesting times, is an ancient Chinese curse. curse. <laughs> yes. And it's been a very interesting day. Yeah, so the first TED that I was at in Aspen, which evolved into TED um, uh, Palm Springs eventually, we were way ahead of schedule. We got all the lights up. Way ahead of schedule, air quotes. That'll teach us. um, Way ahead of schedule. We had all the lighting and sound done. But somebody made this slight miscalculation by putting the light bars a little too far up in the air. And uh, incandescent lights generate some heat. And the heat has been known to set off fire extinguishers. Ooh. So the fire extinguishers set off. That water in those systems is nasty. Yeah. I remember you talking to me about that. It was a um, fiasco. Cluster something. A cluster muck. Yes, indeed. A muck of clusters and a cluster of muck. So whenever you think you're ahead of the curve, you should be very afraid. Never forget that the the, uh, light at the end of the tunnel may be an oncoming Oncoming train. train. Yes, indeed. So please join us on the web at www.vtwproductions.com. That's versustheworldproductions.com. Listen to all the shows and archives you'll find there. You will be glad that you did. Uh, Join our forum community. We now have our lovely member map where we're getting an idea of where the heck these people all over the world are. See if you can be the first unique pin in a unique portion of the map. Uh, Send us questions about 
what we're doing here at TED and suggestions as to which uh, presentations we should try to attend to the show at alphageekradio.com. That's the show at alphageekradio.com. Ah, rate us on iTunes, dig us on dig.com, all that fun kind of stuff. We're very interested in your opinions about the new versus the world radio website, vtwproductions.com. Click around a bit, take a look around, send your suggestions to us via the community forums or email. Questions, comments, and smart-ass remarks are welcomed. Smart-ass remarks? Oh, hell yeah. You, you have an idea what kind of community we engender here. Oh, gosh, I've wasted two hours. I could have been using those. One hour. I knew that. It's been a really long day for Ted Hedster. He's a little sleep-deprived, and we are indeed enjoying innocuous clear liquid. I might be slightly abbreviated. (laughs) I will be in the car. Thank you for joining us. We hope to be back next week. Next week. See? Innocuous clear liquid. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Please follow us on Twitter. That's VTW Productions, or you can just follow me, GnomeWise. And we will tweet, try to tweet an hour ahead of time when we are able to go on air. We can't promise a particular time that we're going to go on air because we don't know what kind of crap is going to go wrong. So we can't give you a solid time of airtime. When all the smoke comes out. When all the smoke comes out and you have to send it back to have more smoke put back into it. So we will be back tomorrow for day two of the TED Diaries. Thank you for listening. And we'll be putting an archive of this up presently. And we will be back tomorrow. And good night. May your God go with you. Home. The bombardier, 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 the bombardier